I want to go back to that image of that big pagan festival that was going on there. That is, again, that's the modern day church today. But it's not with wine. They're having a big drunken feast in our churches today, dotted all over our land, desecrating the holy vessels of God. They're supposed to be teaching God's word, but instead they're having a good, feel-good party. A uh, evangelical funhouse or some just a bunch of rituals that makes them feel holy or something of that nature. Alright, the topic of our study today will be on Daniel we'll we'll be studying Daniel chapter five and it'll be titled Reading the Handwriting on the Wall. And you know, there um, there comes a time when the wicked overstep their bounds and God takes action. Uh, you know, they may get away with things for a time, but certain things really bring down God's judgment. Certain things really get him angry. And we're going to see an example of that here in this chapter with the final king of Babylon. Um, and also, you know, we really need to pay close attention to, you know, what brings God's, what brings God's judgment down. Um, because when we're looking at current events or we're looking at what's going on in the world, it will oftentimes help us, if we can look at the past and see how God did something, when we look out into the future or what's going on right now, we can kind of get an idea of how God is going to move. Uh, what is he going to do? What's, what's going to happen next type of a thing? So let's just begin reading Daniel chapter 5 verse 1. Says Belshazzar the king made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. Okay, Belshazzar was the grandson, many believe, of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar the Great, who built Babylon. Um, and his name actually means Bel protect the king, or uh, Baal or Bel. Um, but we're going to find out God, or his God, not our God, uh, Bell or Baal is not going to be able to protect him. And I think it's kind of ironic that God, uh, you know, had this guy be named that or allowed his name to be that to prove a point that false gods cannot protect people. Um, verse 2, Belshazzar, whilst he tasted the wine, commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels uh, which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. Okay, this is a, this is, now, now look at what he's doing here. This, I believe, is what, what is going to make God really upset. You know, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, God used him to conquer uh, the nation of Israel back in history, and um, to punish them for their sins. And then Nebuchadnezzar, he took these holy vessels and put them into one of his temples, but he didn't defile them. He just kind of kept them in safekeeping. Um, but this king, we're going to see here, takes these vessels out of the secret chambers of the pagan gods and is actually going to defile them with this uh, big drunken pagan feast that they're going to be having here. Um, so that, that, that's a clue when we see, you know, when, people, when God's holy things get defiled, that's what brings God's judgment down. Verse 3, Then they brought the golden vessels 
that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem, and the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines drank in them. Verse 4, they drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, of brass, of iron, of wood, and of stone. Okay, so this guy's having a big, again, this, this guy's having a big drinking party, and uh, not... And that's not really what made it so bad. I mean, that's what, that's what you know, the pagans will do all these things. But what makes it bad is that he's going to desecrate the holy vessels that were taken from God's temple. Um, you know, uh, today, God's people are in the New Testament. I can't remember the specific verse, but they're referred to as the holy temples uh, or the holy vessels. Uh, and we're also referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit. And so on, but you know, I it, it seems God lets the wicked get away with a lot. Uh, when we look out at the world today, sometimes we wonder why hasn't God done anything about about these people? You know, they seem to get away with all of this wickedness. You know, we had the Obama years, we had all the corruption that took place there, and um, you know, the attempted coup upon our duly elected president. And, and the list goes on and on. You know, you go back to Bill and Hillary Clinton and so on. And they just seem to get away with it over and over and over again. But eventually, God's hammer will come down uh, in his timing. Um, but, but, this defiling, but this defiling, again, of the holy things seems to be what we're going to see here that will bring his anger down in a big way. And I'm going to mention something in prophecy here. Uh, at some point in this study, there's one particular thing in the future that's really going to get God upset, and, and we'll be pointing that out um, in this study here. But, but so when you see someone, the reason I brought up the holy vessels as uh, the God's people being a, uh, or the holy vessels being a type of God's people is because when you see someone attack the true people of God, you might want to get ready and see what happens. You know, it depends on how bad the attack is. I know right now we have the governor of Minnesota uh, and other governors throughout the land that are, um, you know, really trying to exert authority over God's people, trying to tell the church uh, what they can and cannot do, give them all these rules and regulations, um, telling them they can. Our governor just said that we, you know, before the president came out and uh, told told the governors they better open up right now. Um, our governor said no singing in church. You know, we can't have that going on and things like that. So, you know, is that gonna is God gonna step in and take action uh, with something like that? I don't know. I don't know how if you know what God considers really bad. But I do know that when we see. Um, I'll put it this way, you know, the liberals have been, the liberals, the progressives, the leftists, they've been really attacking our nation, uh, in, you know, politically uh, and through many other means. But the one thing they really haven't done, at least overtly, they've, they've done it secretly, they've worked into the churches and have corrupted them, but there really hasn't been an overt attempt, ever in our lifetime anyways, of the government to control the holy vessels of God, to control the church. And so I think this chapter is very timely and, and it's interesting. Um, 
All right, so let's go to, get on to verse 5. In the same hour, when they're having this big party, in the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick, one of the holy vessels, um, upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. So could you imagine us sitting there having this big party? You're, you know, you're living on top of the world thinking you, nobody can defeat you. All my pagan gods will protect me and all, and, and all this type of stuff. And then all of a sudden you see a hand just appear and start writing on the wall. Well, you know, it's probably, you, you know, deep down inside, sinners know they're sinners. So he knew that this isn't a good writing. This isn't something that's, going to be in his favor that was written upon the wall. Um, and that's, uh, we'll find out what this writing is, but I, I believe that's where we get the expression today, um, the handwriting on the wall. Do you see the handwriting on the wall? Verse 6, Then the king's countenance was changed, and his thoughts troubled him, so that the joints of his loins were loosed, and his knees smote one against another. So you can imagine this. I mean, he's just shaking, and uh, sounds like he even wet himself at the same time here. Um, but again, imagine that. Thinking you're on top of the world, then all of a sudden... The, you know something very scary happens and you and you realize that you may be doomed um, you know this sort of reminds me of we talked about this Damien and I talked about this uh, uh, back in 2016 it reminds me of when the deep state lost the 2016 election I mean Hillary was was too intoxicated to show up uh, to give her her uh, what she thought was going to be her acceptance speech or uh, or, or whatnot um, but they were, she was drinking, having a good time. All of the globalists thought they had the, this election in the bag. And then everything changed that night all at once for them. Um, and, um, and it hasn't been the same for them. And they've been, you know, so they've been trying to regain that power over America. Uh, and we're in the middle of this battle between the, the globalists and the, really, it ultimately, it comes down to uh, Christians in America. Those that keep the commandments of God and uh, have the testimony of Jesus Christ are the ones that are really preventing this uh, globalist, satanic takeover from happening right now. We're the only ones in the way. And Satan knows that. And uh, we might be talking about that next week. Might do a study titled uh, America Battles the Dragon or um, what was the other title I was thinking of on that? Um, the, the, the Plot to Take Down America. Um, anyways, so this, the, this king of, think about this, the king of Babylon is having a great party. Um, and, and while he's doing this, either knowingly or unknowingly, the Persian army is surrounding the city of Babylon. Um, but it, some people think that he knew that the, the Persian army was there, but thought there's no way, uh, the Persians, the Medo-Persian empire is going to be able to penetrate the walls. So it's, it's, that, that seems to make sense because sometimes evil people get so prideful that they think there's not, you know, that nothing's going to happen to them. They've been getting away with everything for so long that it's just going to continue to go on. Now, from David Guzik's, David Guzik's commentary on Daniel um, from the blueletterbible.com, he says the outer walls of Babylon were 17 miles long. And that these walls were 22 feet thick and 90 feet high. 
Uh, he said the outer walls also had guard towers uh, another hundred feet high, and the and the city gates were made of bronze, and that there was a system of inner and outer walls and moats made that made the uh, city very secure. So while they're having this big party, I mean, he, he's trusting, Belshazzar is trusting in these walls that were around Babylon to protect him and the whole system he had in place with the guards and so forth. So he doesn't, he doesn't have a care in the world before he sees the handwriting on the wall. Verse 7, Then the king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Um, and the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, you know, we have lots of experts and wise people today that really fit into this category. And, and they're, they're trying to, I'm going to liken this to the COVID-19 situation. I mean, think about this. They're shutting down. Uh, some of them are doing this on purpose, but, but some of them really believe this. They're shutting down the entire economy for a virus that kills less than uh, not even a 1% of those that are infected. So you're going to shut down the whole economy and just you know, risk destroying our, the livelihood of, of Americans for something like that. I mean, think about that. That is about the, I think this will go down uh, if... Well, it depends who controls the future in America and the in the future. But if 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 Christian patriots uh, control the the future, um, you know, the next decade or so, if if we get that far, um, it'll be known as the greatest blunder I think that has ever happened upon America. This the stupidest thing that leaders could have ever done uh, is to shut down a whole shut down the whole economy over a virus like that even if it's a, a little bit more of a significant virus what you would do is you would you know biblically we've talked about this there's no biblical justification for mass quarantines uh, in the Bible, only those that were sick were quarantined, and that had both a physical and a spiritual um, uh, meaning to it or, or purpose to it. Um, think about this. Sin, what are you supposed to do with sin? It's contagious, right? It transfers from one person to the other. Well, uh, in, in Christianity, we quarantine sin. You know, you try to get, you know, get away from, uh, get away, uh, get away from it. Um, you know, there are many different examples of that in the New Testament church where they, you know, they, there were some people in there that were really bad people and they had, they had to get them out. Um, so that, that's an example of quarantining the sick. Okay? Somebody who's really sick spiritually, they need to be... Uh, I think the apostle, I think it was Peter. Uh, I can't remember if it was Peter or Paul. But they put one guy out and he said, hey, let Satan deal with him for a time. And then may, I think he said, then maybe he'll be restored. Maybe he'll come to his senses. Um, but anyways, so quarantining the sick spiritually... Or physically is God's way. You don't just you don't just shut down the whole society. Um, anyways, I don't think I finished reading that. So the king spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck, and he shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. It is thought that. Um, this King Belshazzar, I'm not going to go into it in great depth. It is thought that I think it was his dad was the actual king of Babylon. And he was out at, uh, in doing some battle with the Persians. Now, this is just speculation. These are various historians' thoughts. Um, and that Belshazzar was uh, put in charge while he was gone. 
And therefore, the third ruler would be the ruler that would be right underneath him. Uh, right underneath him. Um, so anyways, Belshazzar is saying, whoever can read this writing and the interpretation thereof, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make you royalty. I'm going to make you the third ruler in the kingdom of Babylon. Then came in all the king's wise men, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Okay? Now, if you remember, his grandpa Nebuchadnezzar dreamed a dream uh, t- to be interpreted as well. But here we have something a little bit different. Here we have uh, not a dream that needed to be interpreted, but an actual, well, you could call it a vision. This time it's a vision. Um, But nevertheless, it's a writing that needed to be interpreted. And once again, the wise men of Babylon were not able to do it. They couldn't interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, that prophetic dream of all the various world kingdoms rising and falling until the time of the end. And they couldn't... um, uh, and they can't interpret this. So, I'm going to uh, bring up a point here. Um, it's interesting that not even these wise men could read the writing. It makes me think about how blind... Now think about this. These wise men, these were the guys that went to all the, the universities, all the highest um, you know, centers of learning... I mean, these guys were the guys with all the credentials. And I I think we can apply this verse to many of our Christian leaders in the churches today. I think they really are no different in in, uh, many cases as these wise men of Babylon. They're a part of this system that's going on, uh, part of the system. It's all kind of intertwined together. Um, I, I think Revelation refers to it as Mystery Babylon. Um, so they, the reason I bring that up is because it makes me think about how blind our church leaders are today. And when it comes, especially when it comes to understanding God's word or the prophecies written about in the Bible, I mean, most of them, they don't even study Bible prophecy. I mean, it's, it's some, I mean, try talking to a Christian that belongs, that goes to one of these evangelical fun houses and, and actually get out the Bible and start talking about something particular about the Bible and they're going to look at you with glazed over eyes because it's not for them it's they're not getting taught the Bible they're not going through the scriptures they're they're hearing a feel-good sermon um, or you know just anything and everything but actually studying and learning the Bible Although they may say it's Bible-based, this is a Bible-based church, but are they actually teaching what the Bible says? You know, in many cases, they'll just, this is the, this is the norm, and I'm kind of getting off track here a little bit, but that's okay. But this is the norm. What they do is they, they cherry-pick a bunch of uh, feel-good type passages in the Bible, and, um, and week after week, they develop a sermon based off something about the love of Jesus or um, salvation, you know, they keep preaching salvation over and over to people that are sitting in church who are supposed to already be saved. Um, and it's just an endless cycle of the same thing. And it, it, it's almost like they have the Bible, they, well, they have the Bible right before their very eyes and they keep dancing around it, but actually never getting in and, and understanding what it means. Um, so I bring that up uh, because these wise men, you know, it's no different today. Many of our, or most of our church leaders, I would say, cannot understand uh, the prophecies in the Bible and the interpretations thereof. 
Now, when you think about it, that handwriting on the wall was God's word. He wrote it. He wrote it. Okay, so an example of that, I'm going to take a little side, John, here. In Isaiah chapter 29, verse 9, God talks about, he says it probably better than I just said it, but this is what he says about the church leaders. Stay yourselves in wonder, cry you out and cry. They are drunken, but not with wine. They stagger, but not with strong drink. Now tie this in, because I believe this chapter 5 of the book of Daniel, this drunken pagan feast, is symbolic of what is going on in our church today. And as well as our nation. But it's not just a uh, political thing. It's both political and religious. But he says, They stagger, but not with strong drink. Why? For the Lord hath poured out upon you the spirit of deep sleep, and hath closed your eyes. The prophets and the prophets, these are supposed to be your Bible teachers, your religious leaders, and your rulers, the seers, hath he covered. So God says, hey, Look out there. It's like they're all drunk. They're intoxicated. They're stumbling around. They can't see. But it's not with alcoholic beverages. It's with something else. Verse 11, And the vision of all is become unto you as words of a book that is sealed, which men deliver to one that is learned, someone that is learned even, someone who went to seminary, saying, Read this, I pray thee. And he saith, I cannot, for it is sealed. And the book is delivered to him that... Now, think about this. How many, people, how many churches today don't uh, refuse to even study the book of Revelation because they say it's too difficult to understand. It's, it's going gonna, it's gonna to cause too much divisions among our people. Uh, one person might believe it this way, and, one, and we just don't want to get into that. You know? So let's just ignore it um, because it's more convenient. We, if we just talk about the love of Jesus, that's not going to offend anybody. And we'll be able to fill our churches in that way, and everybody will be happy. That's really the mode, That's really why they do what they do. And um, the book is delivered to him that is not learned, saying, "Read this, I pray thee." And he saith, "I am not learned." So the wise guys, uh, the learned, they can't understand it, and neither neither can those that are unlearned. Verse 13, Wherefore the Lord said, Forasmuch as this people draw near me with their mouth, and with their lips do honor me, but have removed their heart far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the precept of men. Now think about that. I want to go back to that image of that big pagan festival that was going on there. That is, again, that's the modern day church today. But it's not with wine. They're having a big drunken feast in our churches today, dotted all over our land, desecrating the holy vessels of God. They're supposed to be teaching God's word, but instead they're having a good, feel-good party. A uh, evangelical funhouse or some, just a bunch of rituals that makes them feel holy or something of that nature. Verse four, because you might, you know, I bring that up because some people might think, well, we would never. I mean, a lot, of, a lot of people that go to the church there, they read the story about um, Belshazzar, and they say we would never do such a defiling, gross, disgusting thing as that. But they are in many cases, and 
Um, the reason why our nation is, is in so much trouble these days, it's not just because of the politicians. Primarily, it starts with the church. If the church isn't feeding the people God's word, what is, then what happens? Well, the people become corrupt. The people have no moral standard. And then what do they do? They, uh, they, they elect godless politicians. Um, that's really what happens. So this really is ultimately all on, mainly on the shoulders of the church. Um, for not teaching God's word here. So verse 14, I don't think I read that yet, but he says, Therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among the people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish, and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. Woe unto them that seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works in the dark. And they say, Who seeth us, and who knoweth us? Surely the turning of things upside down, okay, that's exactly what we see today. Surely the turning of things upside down shall be esteemed as the potter's clay, for shall the work of him that, um, shall the work say of him that made it, he made me not, or shall the thing framed of him, uh, shall, shall the thing framed say of him that framed it, he had no understanding? In other words, what these people say is, you know, they, they're ignoring God and they're saying um, you can blame him for making things a certain way. And, and uh, um, we see that every day. They believe their ways are better than God's ways. So anyways, I went there to, to draw the parallel between a spiritual drunkenness um, a spiritual drunkenness that has taken place in the church today and this feast that Belshazzar, the final king of Babylon, was involved with. So back to Daniel chapter 5, verse 9. Then was the king Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astoned. Okay? They were astonished. Verse 10. Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords, came into the banquet house, and the king spake and said... Um, and the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. Okay, So she's trying to tell the king to uh, relax that she's got an idea. Verse 11. There is a man in thy kingdom in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And in the days of thy father, light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods... Okay, obviously, they, they, she's pagan, so she believes in all these gods. Was found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father. Now, it's not that this, is, this was his grandfather. The word father in the Hebrew can be used to uh, both ways. Your immediate father or your grandfather or your distant um, uh, ancestors. And he says, um, so he says, uh, let's see where I just lost my spot. Okay. Um, was found in him whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father, the king, I say thy father made master of the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, and the soothsayers. Now I can't, I can't skip over this without taking advantage of this. The word soothsayers. You know, we talked about that. When you go into church these days, it's everything that, that, that sounds soothing, what feels good, okay? Now, this was, a, this, was a, a, this was a Babylonian class of wise men. And I believe it specifically applies. The, I believe that the soothsayers um, have taken over our churches today. They just call themselves pastors. They call themselves um, ministers. They call themselves 
what's another name? Reverends and, and you name it, priests. Um, verse 12, for as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding. Now look at all these things that Daniel had. For he had an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding, interpreting of dreams and showing hard sentences, like understanding parables, and dissolving of, and dissolving of doubts were found in the same Daniel whom the king named Belshazzar, whom uh, Nebuchadnezzar named Belshazzar after his God. Now let Daniel be called and he will show the interpretation. Now it's interesting. They went through all the wise men first, right? All the wise men of Babylon. And, and now when there was really no hope, no hope left, now they finally go to the guy that really could tell them what's going on in the first place. They go to Daniel. And it's like that today with, uh, with, uh, in our society. They go to all the wise men, all of the so-called experts, before they go to somebody who actually knows what's going on. Um, amazing. It's amazing. All right. Verse 13, Then was Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? Okay, so obviously this, this Belshazzar, he, he didn't even know who Daniel was. He just had heard about him. Um, and now he's asking if, if he is who he is. Verse 14, And I have heard of thee that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. Now think about this. I, before I pass over these verses, uh, all of God's people, true biblical Christians, should strive to be like Daniel. To, to be like Daniel and gaining wisdom and understanding and, and all these things. Um, and, you know, and, and the way we do that is by studying God's word and applying our heart to wisdom. Okay. And, we, and think about, think about this. I mean, there are people that, uh, like we said before, they, they went to the wise men first. They couldn't uh, figure this out, but ultimately people know even though they may mock you, they may mock you for understanding the Bible. Oh, there's John again. He's talking about the Bible prophecies that are happening. And, but when things get really bad, they're gonna act, they, know, they really know who to go to. They just don't want to believe it. They don't want to obey. But at the end of the day, they know who, who can figure this stuff out. Verse 15, And now the wise men, the astrologers, have brought in before me, have been brought in before me, that they should read this writing and make known unto me the interpretation thereof. But they could not show the interpretation of the thing. Verse 16, And I have heard of thee that thou canst make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, Thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and with a chain of gold about thy neck, and thou shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now, now watch how Daniel responds to this. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let thy gifts be to thyself, and give thy rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing unto the king, and make known unto him the interpretation." 
the interpretation. So Daniel, obviously, uh, he, he try, he's going to try to reject the rewards given to him by this king of Babylon. And there are a couple, I think there are a couple lessons here uh, kind of connected to this. First, we don't interpret God's word for personal gain. We don't, uh, you know, go out to try to make a name for ourselves or, uh, or something like that. Um, we don't do it for um, riches and fame. And a lot of people that do it just for that. We, we, at the end of the day, we do it like Daniel did out of a sense of duty. It's because what's right, it's the truth, and we, we stand for the truth. Uh, secondly, Daniel, knowing the dream, would know that Babylon was about to fall and these temporary rewards would mean nothing anyway. So, King, you can give me all you want, but in a moment here, he's going to tell him that his days are, his days are over and it's not going to matter for him anyways. Um, and, and the lesson there could be we, we do things for eternal rewards, not temporal rewards. So everything we do today should be thought of from an eternal perspective, not uh, worldly fame, not temporary uh, exaltation from men, and those types of things. Um, and it's interesting, uh, you know, Revelation chapter 2 and 3 talk about the rewards that we should be seeking after. Um, Jesus gives a whole list of all of these different awards or rewards given to the overcomers. Those rewards are okay to seek after. It's, there's no sin in that. In fact, Jesus wants us to strive to get those rewards. And that is a motivator to do what we do, uh, to stand up for the truth. And, and um, you can read about those in Revelation chapter 2 and 3. Check it out. Fascinating stuff. Verse 18, O thou king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. This, this would be Nebuchadnezzar. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. Okay? In other words, Nebuchadnezzar had a powerful kingdom. It was full of majesty. The whole world trembled before him. And he basically did whatever he wanted to do politically. Verse 20, But when his heart was lifted up and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne and they took his glory from him. If you remember, well, I think he's going to talk about it, but, but notice something here. It was his pride. It was Nebuchadnezzar's pride that resulted in his temporal downfall. But verse 21, it says, And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beasts. If you remember, um, uh, well, let me finish reading. And his dwelling was with the wild asses. They fed him with, the, with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven till he knew, now check this out, until he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will, okay? That was God's big message to Nebuchadnezzar, that Nebuchadnezzar in all of his glory and in all of his power, um, that he only had that because God allowed him to have that. And God wanted to teach Nebuchadnezzar a lesson. So Nebuchadnezzar, I think it was, it said that 
he basically went crazy for about seven years. He went out into the woods. He was running around. He thought he was an animal. Um, some people speculate that he had some kind of a wolf disease or something. Uh, but nevertheless, he lost his mind. He was living like an animal for seven times, maybe seven years. And then we're going to find out God restored him because Nebuchadnezzar repented. In fact, the whole fourth chapter that we just studied uh, last in this book of Daniel was, was Nebuchadnezzar's prayer t- to God. It was his testimony that God is God and that um, uh, he does whatever he wills. But this is important. Verse 22, And thou his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though thou knewest all this. Now think about that. Belshazzar isn't going to get a seven times testing period. God's not going to give him a a seven-year opportunity to repent. He's not going to give him a chance. Why? Why doesn't Belshazzar get a chance? His, His... His grandfather Nebuchadnezzar got a chance. Why doesn't he get a chance? Well, we're going to find out. Um, well, I'll say it this. I'll, I'll say it this way in case I can't remember if we're going to if it's going to say here or not. But he doesn't get a chance because he had an example. His grandfather was an example. He knew what happened to Nebuchadnezzar. He knew that God uh, brought him through that those seven years of. Uh, of uh, living like a beast until he would humble himself and repent. So Belshazzar shouldn't need another lesson for himself. He, he already had one, uh, and it was his grandfather. And, you know, this, um, this reminds me, well, I'm going to get into it in a second, but this remi- Belshazzar reminds me of those people who hear the gospel, they have a Bible, but they reject its wisdom. They reject its wisdom. And um, actually, I've I, I got some verses in here that talk about this. Uh, Luke chapter 16, verse 31. If you remember the parable of Lazarus and the rich man, um, it was the rich man. He basically, uh, he was in hell. He was in torment. He was looking over at Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And uh, he was very sad, and he wanted to go back and warn his family members um, not to make the wrong decisions like he had made. He didn't want his family members to be in hell with him. And he, so he was begging. He was begging, uh, he was begging that someone could go back and warn them not to do this. But this was the response by Abraham here. Luke chapter 16, verse 31, And he said unto him, If they hear not Moses and the prophets... Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. In other words, they had this whole book, all of this history, all of the all of the the things, uh, all of the dealings that God had with with men, with uh, with mankind, and they rejected all that. And uh, they're not going to accept that one rose from the dead. They're not going to accept the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, if they don't accept Moses and all the prophets, because Moses and all the prophets foretold of Jesus' coming. But my point here in this study is people have the Bible. They have, most people are like Belshazzar right now. They have no excuse. The truth has been here all along, and they refuse to heed it. Okay, And their fate may be like Belshazzar's here. Verse 23. 
but hast lifted up thyself against the Lord of heaven, and they have brought the vessels of his house before thee, and thou and thy lords, thy wives, and thy concubines have drunk wine in them, and thou hast praised the gods of silver and gold and of brass and iron, wood and stone, uh, which see not, nor hear, nor know, and the God in whose hand thy breath is, and whose are all thy ways, hast thou not glorified. Now think about this. They, they lifted up themselves. Uh, he lifted up himself against God and um, by doing this, by contaminating God's holy vessels. Now, I think about the churches today again here. Um, I, you know, how you, you see here that Nebuchadnezzar, or not Nebuchadnezzar, but Belshazzar here, praised the gods of silver, gold, brass, iron, wood, and stone. How many people today Go just go to church because it's a nice church building. It just looks holy. It's got the coffee shop in there. It's got everything. Nothing wrong with coffee. I mean, we have some coffee back there. But what I'm saying is they're going there for the wrong reasons. They're going there for the building and uh, to feel good and to have this. Uh, I would liken it to a spiritual uh, drinking fest, a spiritual drunk fest. Um, anyways, verse 24. Then was part of the hand sent from him, and this was the and this writing was written, and this is the writing that was written: Meanie, meanie, tekel, you farsin. Okay, these are the words that Belshazzar the king saw, and he couldn't understand them. Verse twenty-six. This is the interpretation of the thing. No, it's kind of interesting. I I just thought of this. I never didn't think of this when I was preparing this uh, study here. But, you know, the only other writing I can think of that God wrote, well, I guess there's three now that I think about it, but the Ten Commandments that God wrote with his own hand, this writing, no doubt, was God's hand, and uh, the writing that Jesus wrote to the scribes and Pharisees before they were uh, wanting to stone the woman that was caught in adultery. Um, But in the Bible, I can only think of three actual cases where God's hand wrote something. And it's kind of interesting. But anyways, verse 26 says, This is the interpretation of the thing. Meanie. Okay, this is what this word means. God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel. Thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Okay, tekel is a word, I think, very similar to the word shekel. So you see it was by weight. Okay, so... um, He was found in the balances, the balances of justice, balances of judgment. And... He was, he was found with an unbalanced scale, okay? Verse 28, Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Okay? So that was the... So what was done here was he was just... It was just pronounced that his kingdom was going to be um, defeated. It's going to be given over to the Medes and the Persians. Verse 29, Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put a chain of gold about his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. Okay, so I don't know what Belshazzar was thinking here. Maybe he thought, well, I'm going to... He honored his word. He he was going to let whoever interpreted the dream be the third ruler in the kingdom. Um... But I think he probably was just trying to buy his way out of this still. He probably still held on to hope that if I just do great things for this Daniel guy, that I'll still get to keep my kingdom. Verse 30, 
In that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. That very same night that the handwriting was on the wall. And Darius the Mede took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old, 62 years old. Okay, uh, Darius, Darius, or Darius is thought to be the sub-king underneath uh, King Cyrus. We're not going to go into that here today. But I'm going to close it up with this. In conclusion... God is uh, the point of uh, a large part of the book of Daniel is just is really to prove that God is in control. He's on the throne. Uh, he's on the throne of the world. And he's on the throne of heaven and earth, and he sets up kings and pulls down kings. Oftentimes, he pulls down a king when when they become prideful, and or they desecrate God's holy vessels. Um, we, and we saw that uh, the King Belshazzar do both of these things. But in the future, which is really interesting, in the future, the Antichrist will bring in the abomination of desolation or set up the abomination that makes desolate. Um, in the future, we don't know exactly what that is, but he's going to be doing something so abominable in uh, Jerusalem that it will bring God's wrath down. And I'll close it up with these two verses. Matthew chapter 24, verse 15, Jesus says, when, when, the, when you therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let them which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Okay. In other words, when this abomination is set up, God's anger, this is going to be the, you know, this is going to bring about... Um, the wrath of God upon this earth in a big that that event that we just read there uh, will bring that about in a big way. So, any questions or comments? And the technical one, like in the verse or the chapter before, um, chapter four, or, yeah, chapter four, it just shows that Nebuchadnezzar comes out of his sickness or whatever, right? And he praises God and is basically a good guy again and takes over. He's still the ruler of Babylon, right? Right, yeah. Um, so when we get to chapter uh, 5 here, he had been gone for some time. Yeah, and that's what was just interesting to me. It didn't really say much about it. It just went from everything was good with him and now this Belshazzar or whatever is the king. So I don't know if I'm missing that gap there or is there a place where it talks about that gap somewhere else? or. The yeah, that's a good question. Uh, some of the, the chapters in Daniel don't all line up chrono, uh, chronologically. Right. So some chapters are before others. And I think it, a lot of times, I mean, there are other uh, examples of that in the Bible where things are not in chronological order, but it's, it's more arranged according to um, the lessons that God wanted us to know. Sure. Um, but that's a good point. I, I haven't uh, dug in too deeply into the, the actual timeline on that. It's been, there's just a lot of speculation about it, so I don't know if we can find out for sure exactly how many years there were between Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar. Yeah, it just seems interesting that he kind of repented and actually turned into kind of a good guy. And, uh, and then, the, you know, you'd think it would go on to say, and then he served, you know, several years in the, the Babylon, you know, wonderful place to be here, you know, or something, but... Right. But it doesn't, so. Yeah, well, it does, I mean, it kind of ends with what's more important anyways, Daniel 4, was Nebuchadnezzar, um, 
at the end of the day, he repented and gave glory to God. I mean, here you had, the, I mean, what a testimony that uh, would, have, would have been. I mean, he testified to the entire world at that time. Um, you know, it, it's interesting because Nebuchadnezzar really was a type of a, a, a repentant sinner, a Christian, because um, at, he was living for himself. He was living for his own glory. And then God made him go mad for that time. And many people in their lives, they go through a, a period in their life where their life is just falling apart before they repent and turn to God. And Nebuchadnezzar kind of laid that type of what, of a type of a Christian. But Belshazzar, his grandson, is the type of an unrepentant sinner. He had knowledge. He knew, he knew what was right. He had, uh, you know, the example of his, uh, his grandfather, but he refused to listen. Um, and y'all, it's, basically, it's kind of like the, um, the two criminals on the cross next to Jesus. You had one repentant sinner and one unrepentant sinner. Yeah, you would think that all the stuff that happened in Nebuchadnezzar would have been fresh on the mind of Belshazzar. You know, everything from the fiery furnace to, you know, him turning into an animal, basically, and then repenting. Right. And instead, just like, you know, you're talking about the churches today, people, you know, they could, they could see Jesus be resurrected, and they still aren't going to get it. They're still not going to believe. And this Belshazzar just goes on with his paganism, and even though he was just had an example of a godly man that repented and all that stuff, but that's just interesting to me. Right? Yeah, and, and like I said, he didn't. He didn't get a. Ch- he died that night, so he didn't have a chance. So, um, God sometimes gives people. A, 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 you know, he determines. I mean. He determines if he's going to give somebody a chance, let them go through a trial, or if he feels they've already had a, an opportunity. Um, so I think that's there's a, a good example of of that understanding in this story. The other thing I think is funny is that it's talking about that people are drunk, not on wine, or but just on I don't know, stupidity or something. But I've been to churches where they uh, they go into these like weird. I kind of think they're satanic, but uh, they walk around and they're drunk in the spirit. Mm. Like, literally, like, laughing and, you know, bumbling around and rolling on the ground and stuff. Yeah. And it, it, it's just, I mean, it probably goes along with that. They're, oh, absolutely. They're well, liquor stores call it spirits. Yeah. 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 Exactly. There's two spirits out there, the good and the other. Yeah. So some of the churches are literally... Well, like drunk. <laughs> there was another place that I, I was going to cite it and I forgot, but Second Thessalonians chapter 2, God says that because they want to believe a lie, that he will send them strong delusion. And, and that's what we see. I mean, the yeah. delusion is so strong these days. It's, yeah, and that's why we were talking about earlier that uh, our experience was very similar to yours. We'd go from church to church to church and it was just... It wasn't right. There's something not there. There's something missing. They're just not getting into it, you know. And um, um, and it's it is. It's like it's like everybody. Uh, it's like they're all drunk right now and they can't see a thing. Um, it's sad. Yeah. But it starts with want, wanting to believe a lie. I, that's what Second Thessalonians says. And again, I can't say it enough. But that's the beauty of line by line study is that you don't get to skip over the controversial things and the uncomfortable things. You just got to take it head on and 
Right? I can't tell you how many times I've learned some really good stuff that I needed to know just because I was studying line by line. Now, there are some topics that I really like that are fascinating to me that I, if I didn't teach the Bible line by line, I'd focus on those nonstop and, um, and then, you know, get my understanding skewed, you know. So it really is, you know, what was it? When Jesus was tempted by Satan uh, to make the, the, the stones and the bread, he said, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. And that's always, stu- that's always really, you know, stuck in my mind that he means it, every single word, not just the parts that you like to study, but all of it. Right. Everything relates to, because like Sodom and Gomorrah, how long did God allow that to keep going on before he finds that had it? Right. Same as uh, the king there, you know. Yeah. He destroyed, he didn't let, let him have a chance to repent because... Was going on forever. I don't know how long Sodom and Gomorrah was going on, but God finally said, "Hey, I've had it now." Boom. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I guess yeah. That was another example. It got so filthy. Yeah. How about Noah. Yeah, Noah's time, right? Brought the flood. Well, that's kind of like if but Paul t- was building a. You know, I'd kind of mock him too. You know, Paul. <laughs> never mind. <laughs> I, I think people believe in God. A lot of people believe in God. But my theory is they don't believe in Satan. Mm-hmm. And Satan deceives people through God. Not be- with God, but I mean through God's teachings, through God's churches, through God's... Right. And people don't really think about Satan. They think about God. And you have, to, you have to think of both. When Satan can go to Jesus and think he's going to deceive him, what does he think about us? We're easy. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah. Satan used the Bible to try to deceive oh, the word himself. himself. He's using yeah. it right now. He's using yeah. all of the good stuff to, to, to deceive people. Yeah. I mean, like I said, you hear people talk about God, but how many talk about Satan? Right. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, they don't want to talk about that. No. I mean, uh, it's amazing. I thought about doing a collection, some t- uh, a collection of Bible verses sometime. Uh, I guess I'd have to teach the whole Bible if I did it, but all of the just per, no, not not just to be a big mean guy or something, but you know, because you always get all of these. Every sermon you hear today has something to do with love and forgiveness, which are beautiful things, right? But the Bible isn't talking about that in every chapter and verse. There's a lot of other stuff going on. It's not just that over and over and over again. So I thought about grabbing the most extreme verses that Jesus taught, you know, in the in the New Testament. Because they always think that the hard God was kind of really mean in the Old Testament, but then when Jesus came, all of a sudden he got really nice and just loves everybody. I do that all the time from my, my friends. But if I went through and did a Bible study of all of the stern things that Jesus said, or, mm-hmm. you know, people would be surprised. I'd be like, well, you say you're like a New Testament only church, but you're not actually even teaching just the New Testament, anyways. You know, so it's. Uh, <clears throat> besides, you got to have Moses and all the prophets. Remember, the whole, that's a good uh, verse to show people who say we only study the New Testament because the Old Testament doesn't apply. Well, um, La- the parable of Lazarus and the rich man said that they need to uh, study uh, Moses and all the prophets. And God says, "Put on your armor." Well, that's. We're fighting the evil spirits. We're fighting Satan. Right. He tells us many times. That's for sure. And people just don't 
all the people I see, all the people I talk to, and they just don't see the Satan part of it. That's the guy with the horn. I always say with the horns and the evil and whatever, Satan was beautiful. Satan yeah. didn't come as a ugly, pointed-eared, breathing dragon person. He was a he was beautiful in heaven. Yeah. But Cheryl, I mean, don't you think we should be focusing more on love than talking about Satan? <laughs> <laughs> That's exactly what I hear all the time. And I just think people don't realize how strong Satan is and how he's taking over our country. Mm -hmm. The rich man didn't get it. Through people. Well, think about the biggest trick. I mean, think about how sophisticated Satan is. Hey, let me just get all of the churches just talking about the love of Jesus, even though I don't like Jesus. But if they, if they just talk about the love of Jesus all the time and they don't talk about what I'm doing, then I can do whatever I want to do. And, uh, and nobody will say a thing. In fact, they'll even think that I'm Jesus. And even when you tell, talk to people about like how he's gotten into like Hollywood and especially cartoons you know, geared towards children, Disney specifically, they'll just scoff at you like, oh, you're crazy. But, you know, it's just to us, it's so blatant that it's there, you know, and it's just sad. Like they're just drunk in the spirit of Disney because it's just such a good, wholesome show, you know. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Disney's gotten quite a bit different than it used to be. That's for sure. Oh, he's into everything. Yeah. yeah. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If so, please like, share, and leave your comments below. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, my friends, stay in his word every single day so that you can be a Christian overcomer.